0: Well, it is that time, and believe it or not, yes, believe it, it is the first episode of 2019, and I'm so stoked to have my guest on today. We're going to get into that in a sec. I just want to say thank you for those of you who have been continually chiming in, tuning in, downloading us on the radio podcast everywhere. We've got a major announcement coming Perhaps in the latter quarter, uh, latter quarter of 2019, about a new platform that we will be available on. And just so you know, Ready Set Real Estate is the show that talks about the flips, flops, the raw, uncut, the booms and the busts of everything in real estate, with special guest millennial features and just amazing people from around the globe. Thanks to technology. And remember, this show supports our nonprofit, Real Estate 100 Youth Foundation, where we teach, seek, and empower youth ages 11 to 17 with real estate literacy, terms, concepts, and careers as an alternate pathway to success. Yo, <laughs> I am so happy to introduce to you colleague, fellow colleague, real real estate professional EJ Hawkins. He is founder and president of the Orion Group, which is a boutique real estate firm representing clients and properties across the country. Listen up, he's located in Century City and agents are positioned to represent clients across the country. He is and has been one of the most talented and successful agents in the Los Angeles area, and has been featured in MSN Money and LA Talk Radio. And guess what? Now, Ready Set Real Estate. With over 15 years of experience in real estate sales, investing, and, development, and developing, EJ has utilized his skill sets to provide his clients with an exceptional experience and an unmatched level of service. And while all that is fancy and important, EJ is just so down to earth. EJ, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I am so excited. So here's here's just my, my my honest truth about EJ. First impressions. EJ and I met at one of our local association boards. First impressions. This guy is clean cut, yo. <laughs> like clean cut. He's sharp you know, the epitome of dress for success. And he exudes that. And when you get to know him, as I've had the opportunity to get to know him, he is so down to earth, so humble about community, about growing. And that resonated for me to the point where I said, yes, I have to invite him to be on the show. And I'm so happy that I did because you are actually kicking off our commercial real estate series. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) You are kicking off something major for us. uh, As we talk about learning uh, all aspects of real estate, and I think that's one avenue where young professionals have shied away from. And uh, I think for someone like yourself to be a young professional, and it's so funny to say. Over fifteen years, you look like you look like you're twenty five.
1: <laughs> I, I, I'm knocking on wood, but no, I'm I'm 38. But I I got into real estate. I actually started when I was 18, but I didn't officially get my license until 2003, 2002, I believe.
0: I like it. Like me, yeah. I start. I I started to put my foot in there at 18, and so collectively, I think for me, that's close to 19, 20 years of experience, I I did the back door and then I tiptoed in. (laughs) (laughs) So EJ, we were offline building on this because I I mentioned to him, I shared with EJ that, so his initials, (laughs) I wanted to be mindful when I sent this over to the graphic designer, that we put a space in your name, EJ, right. because I was like, "Yo, you know, it might stand for something," and I just want to make sure I'm mindful and respectful of my guest's name. More so, here's here's really why this resonated with me even more. EJ, I just read an article that Nike's team screwed up on Steph Curry's name that added to them costing or losing him and they lost about 14 billion dollars when they were renegotiating his contract wow That's- how do you mess up somebody's name yeah
1: well you know <laughs> what i'm so used to it growing up i i mean i've been called everything from Erkinger to Irvin johnson to ej brandy so i'm used to it so you know I, <laughs> It, it's not common that somebody's actual name is just initials, but... I didn't even think about EJ Brandy,
0: by the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've heard it all, so, you know.
0: So, e, so EJ, so you said, go ahead, would you please? You said EJ is really your name.
1: <laughs> yeah, EJ is really my name. So my dad's name is Eugene Jeffrey Hawkins. Hence, which is why um I, he gave me his initials, because he... He assumed that long, you know, he assumed at one point, like, that's probably not the best name to use for a guy growing up in the 80s and stuff like that. So <laughs> he just gave me his initials. And he told my mom, he said, you know, when he gets older, he can literally name himself whatever he wants to with the with those two initials. So true. <laughs> I just rolled with EJ because to me, it's unique. Just two letters. So
0: It is. It is unique. It, it, yeah. Like you said, it is two letters. And I love that you said. Um, about the spacing and with social media and filling out applications, yeah. they don't, they're not accepting two letters as a name. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah that, that's, that's my dilemma. Like if I'm filling out an application online and you know, when you put your first name in there, I'll just, I'll put, uh, EJ, right. And since it's only two letters, the application, will, when I go to submit it, it'll say you, you must put your full name in the application. So then I have to go, I have to put the E in the first name and then I have to put the J in the middle name and then it, it works out. So And
0: then it works out. It's like, it's then, no, this is your real name. Right, we don't accept it. Right. <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that is a true dilemma. I can imagine that. And it's also revealing in the faultiness in certain systems and how they're designed. Right. So, okay. Um, you see, guys, I told y'all, he's like really... I wasn't expecting that when we were talking about uh, <laughs> online about his name. I was like, I just wanted to make sure it was right. I sent it to my design team. There's a space. And and so you're, you're saying, no, really, EJ is your name. Yeah, so my
1: name.
0: I just, I really have tons of questions for you, but I think we're just gonna let this naturally flow because okay. it is, we do stream live. We're organic, it's not scripted. And one of the things as I said in terms of kicking off our series, I just would like to learn from you how you how the development started. Cause like you said, you, you know, you started taking kind of those baby steps. And I, I'm gonna come back to that, especially as we talk about young professionals and how they make their move into that. But for you, how did jumping into that arena of um, investing multifamily and then I don't know if you want to share publicly the recent project that you just did. I mean, I would love for people to know just kind of the where you have scaled at this point and where right. you started off. But we'd like to hear that journey because that's not something we always get to hear.
1: It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I tell the story all the time. So I started when I was 18. It was like my senior year of high school. Um, my dad he owned several commercial properties.
0: OK. So
1: um, he was out of town and he was, you know, back and forth and, uh, the management company who he had managing his properties weren't doing such a great job.
0: Mm. So in the
1: meantime, he decided that he wanted to, um, manage the properties, but it wasn't him himself. He actually wanted me to do it. So he started me off with a small sample size of like two properties. One of them was pretty large. It was, uh, it was a corner lot. It's it, it's it's on 78th and Broadway in Los Angeles. Okay. It, and it consisted of, it was an office building there with about three uh, retail a, office spaces.
0: That's a great pocket, by the way, of commercial right. buildings.
1: Well, my I know exactly
0: where that is. That's close to the precinct, isn't it?
1: It, it? Literally, you can walk to the precinct right down the street. So, you know, it wasn't a <laughs> problem. So I actually had my office in that particular building and I was like managing the properties. And to kind of make a long story short, what happened was he decided to sell the properties. Uh, mm. and he asked me to find a realtor. So I found a commercial realtor to sell the properties, um, going through the whole process and everything. And the interesting thing, I was, you know, very interested in, you know, actually in how much he was making off of the project and the deal. The second thing that really intrigued me was how nuanced everything was in terms of how you evaluate the property and stuff like that. Mm. Well, will make a long story short. The realtor that we had ended up being terrible. He couldn't sell the property, right? Yeah. So I actually ended up um, self-marketing the property online and found <laughs> a developer, well, a, a, a buyer for the for that particular property. And uh, he ended up purchasing a property, but at the time we kept going back and forth over pricing. Mm. Um, at that time, I was reading a book called people's principles i don't know if you are familiar with his name is donahue peoples he's
0: i'm now to. going to make note of that somebody so, uh quran just jumped on he says ready set real estate shot it out. make note what was it people's principles quran would you put that in the in the comments for us i'll come peebles, back to it P-E-B-L-E-S,
1: p-e-e-b-l-e-s people's not people's
0: oh people's principles yes. yes is that yes. the developer
1: yeah the developer donahue peoples right yes so he wrote that book um, and I read it and I took it to heart. Nice. So at the time, you know, I was really interested. In, that really piqued my interest in real estate. So we kept haggling over the price. Well, at least my dad kept haggling over the price. He wouldn't agree. So finally, I was able to kind of come to some sort of agree. My dad just, he was like, look, I don't care what you sell it for. Just sell it.
0: Mm. So
1: the developer at that time, they were a pretty large nonprofit developer in the area. Okay. I worked out a deal with them where this: well, I would sell them the property at a reduced price only if they allowed me to co-develop the property with them. So they agreed. They bought wow. the property at a reduced price. I mean, ridiculously, they bought it at like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? Wow. Which was super. I mean, when I look at it now, it was super cheap for a property of that.
0: Super size. cheap for a commercial.
1: <laughs> right. Super cheap. But for me, and since my dad wasn't really trip the, the property was paid off my dad wasn't really tripping on the money so i looked at it as an opportunity for me to get my foot in the door and learn from a developer yes. so i had an opportunity right. to, my first real estate project was a 16 unit apartment building that i helped co-develop with a non-profit on 78th and broadway to this day that property still sits there and i still have ownership in the project <gasps>
0: Oh, my gosh. That is such a weird story. Jeez. Okay, so what, see, and now I want to get into the negotiating of it, because one of the things that what we hear all the time, and so, and I'm learning this, which is why as a co-developer, I'm actually going to be developing my first project out in Virginia.
1: Yeah. good luck luck with that. Congratulations.
0: Thank you. And so what I'm hearing is that the commercial side of the business is not as emotional as the residential. Is that true or false? Because as you talk about going back and forth on settling on price, was it, did you find there was emotion involved or was it just about the number?
1: It was strictly about the numbers. Um, and that's what I love about commercial real estate. Um, it's strictly about the numbers. If the numbers make sense and the deal makes sense, Let's move forward. Um, whereas you know, in residential, it's all emotional. Um, you know, representing your client, the offer, or if you're a buyer. I mean, the whole process is is uh, very emotional. But like like you said, if you're doing commercial, it's really just numbers based.
0: And how so? How involved when we talk about the numbers? Because for those who've been like, I've never been good at math. Um, we have fancy calculators <laughs> and we have fancy calculators. and when you talk about the analysis um, from a commercial standpoint, um, is there a is there a formula that applies to whether you're doing sixteen units versus 200 units is it does that formula change or is it the same?
1: Um, the formula doesn't change okay. Uh, the only thing that changes is if you're dealing with a larger property is, so I deal in the multifamily space, mm-hmm. um, I don't do like office buildings and stuff like that. So for instance, the difference between a 16 unit and a 200 unit apartment building, you would use the same formulas. The only difference is, is that you go a little bit more in depth in terms of like, um, when you're dealing with two, a, a 200 unit building, uh, you want to know like absorption rates and things of that nature because what you what you want to know is if, if i develop a 200 unit of, of property in a particular area yeah that property how how quickly can i rent that property out mm-hmm. is it going to be too big for the area um and what can i maximize my rents at whereas opposed to 16 unit uh particular property you know it's a smaller building a lot easier Depending upon the area, if it's in Los Angeles, it's a lot easier to rent out. Right. But a larger property in a specific area, you do have to do a little bit more research on. But let me preface this by saying I'm no mathematician. In high school, I probably averaged in math. I probably toggled between a C and a D, just being honest with you. so. We I'm love known, honesty,
0: yeah, and this I'm is why I think that's important. Please yeah, I'm, let them know. C or D? You we didn't come off a of mathematician.
1: I graduated. I graduated high school with like a, I barely made it because I was busy clowning around in the classroom all the time. I think I graduated with like a two point three, but when I went to college, I averaged three point five only because wow. I, was, I was taking classes that you know interested me. That, that I was interested,
0: interested in. you, yeah. I've heard that. I just wanted yeah. to make a note. I just want to really make a note here, especially because. And I have heard that I've heard this from our our past guests say I did not perform well in high school because high school has definite. It is dated in the academic curriculum right? Um, it is kind of one-sided in terms of what's being taught, but I've heard that those who even had disabilities that later learned that they were dyslexic or had some form of disability and went to college, just like you shared, ended up performing very well because now they were pursuing courses they were interested in. So for those of you who are listening and you are soul-searching and you feel like you're underperforming in school, this is why we do what we do is because it has to be an alternate pathway to success. We have to open that arena now yeah. so we don't lose that 80 percent that's saying, I may not want to go to college. I just want to just jump into real estate. Can I just learn that? We say yes.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, and to, be, and to be perfectly honest with you, I fully ju- I left college to go into real estate. because You know, really and truly, you know, college is, is really where you're trying to figure out your life and what you want to do in life. Also, you know, you get to get a college degree so you can move on and get a good job. Well, I never planned on getting a good job. I wanted to always be an entrepreneur Uh-oh. because I came from an entrepreneurial family. So, I think my screen froze. Oh, yeah. I think it, yeah, I can, I can tell it kind of froze. But can you hear me? Lisa? 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 Can you hear me? Are we back? Can you hear me? Hello? Oh, can you see me? Lisa. Lisa.
0: I a voila, like I, I magic.
1: See
0: myself, but I couldn't. I could see you, but I couldn't
1: hear anything. Right, right. Yeah.
0: Uh, Florence is like, I can hear you, EJ. Shout out to Florence Manswell, <laughs> CJ Clarence Johnson. He's like, I hear you. See, I, I see. I really appreciate y'all staying connected. Just a little grip. <laughs> so you were saying that you had left college. I'm just going to bring it back because yeah, uh, yeah. for those who are listening to our radio podcast, don't know, we just had a, a glimpse real quick. So we'll just bring it back. Uh, you said, in fact, college is a great space to learn what you yeah, want to do. Yeah. You found a space that you said, I would, um, I'm actually prepared to leave college and go delve more into real estate. Okay. Bring us up to speed.
1: Yeah. So uh, like I said, so I came from a I came from an entrepreneurial mindset family. Everyone mm-hmm. in my family is, is an entrepreneur from my grandfather, my grandmother, my aunts, uncles, my father. Wow. So I, I come from a very well-off family, as you can say, but everything was earned, nothing was given. Yeah. So when I figured out what I wanted to do when I was in college, because while I was in college, I was still managing my dad's property. I was going through that process of developing the property. So once Mm -hmm. I figured, I kind of put two and two together to figure it out, I said, what is the point of me going to school, I had a full ride scholarship, my parents weren't paying for it, but I felt like I was wasting my time being there. Right. Mm. So I left school in my, at the end of my sophomore year and never looked back, jumped into real estate and have been doing it ever since.
0: I I just, it's like a happy ending. It's like a happy ending. a happy ending, really, to a new beginning, because now let's really talk about the significance. And you and I really can build. We build offline. CJ, uh, not CJ, but EJ and I, because CJ is also someone who is very vested in the community. He's also a realtor associate as well. Um, one of the things that is so key that you shared, and I, I really want people to hear this from you, the importance of, a, of community retention when you're talking about development and being involved in those conversations and being involved in in those projects. Would you please share with us your take and just really what you've seen um, over the course of your years and experience?
1: Yeah, so it really started up where I grew up at. So I grew up in Watts, right across the street from the Nickerson Gardens um, on Imperial Highway and Central. So one of the things that Um, I noticed was, was that, you know, there's a lot of vacant land over in that community. It's desolate. You know, there, everything is kind of like run down with the exception of my family's business that we have over there. Um, It's, it's not the best of areas. And so when I got older, when I was in a high school, my mom, we moved to Inglewood and, you know, Inglewood predominantly African-American area mixed between African-American and Hispanic. And, Actually, prior to this whole decentral, you know, uh, gentrification of what's going on in Inglewood, I had already already saw it happening. Okay, what happens is in real estate, especially commercial real estate, Mm. it's it's all supply and demand, and it's all about you know land, right? Where can we find more resources at? Mm. So if you look, the the true development renaissance that happened in L.A. happened in downtown L.A., right? Um, happened mm-hmm. in the early 2000s where they started redeveloping buildings and you start seeing the, the the tall buildings going up. They developed the Staples Center and things like that. And then what happened was, was that developers started, as that area got more expensive, developers started jumping to other areas.
0: Mm-hmm. As those
1: areas became more expensive, the only area left at that particular time in terms of great location, it's next, it's close to the airport. It's considered the South Bay um, you have major entertainment. You have the forum. You have the you have the Hollywood Park Casino, and you had a ton of land in Inglewood at that time. If you mm. if think back prior to them when they built the that whole development center over there on Century, where they have Target and Home Depot and all that stuff, right? It was desolate over there. It was nothing, right? There was nothing. So that was kind of the thing that that kind of led me to believe, like, okay, what's going to happen is is that these developers are going to start buying in areas that are predominantly now African-American, right? Are mm. minority-based communities. Right. Such as, you know, Compton, Inglewood. Well, mainly that's all we really got is Compton and Inglewood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so as they started buying in those particular areas and I started kind of seeing what was going on, it, I, I tried to, I position myself in, in terms and I started looking at my community in Watts where we had tons mm. of land. And most people would assume that, well, who the heck wants to build in Watts or who wants to do anything over there? But look what happened to Echo Park. It was one of the worst crime-ridden areas in Los Angeles. Now you go over there and it's a coffee, it's a coffee shop on every corner. It's yeah. a coffee
0: it's, shop. It's, it's, it's a, a vibrant, colorful community.
1: the Silver Lake area. So areas similar to that. So... Inglewood is actually in the process Well, it has already begun that process in terms of being an area similar to that. So I took it upon myself. I said, well, I'm from Watts. That is my community. And if I want my community to survive and to be sustainable, then I have to take it upon myself since I don't see anyone else doing it to be involved. So luckily my family had already owned several properties in the Watts area. But what I did was, was that I was able to partner with my dad and we started purchasing all the surrounding vacant lots in our area. So we purchased about nine vacant lots in the Watts area. And at that time, I didn't know what to build on it or what to develop them. I just knew that we needed to own that land. Mm. So we would have a (laughs) say-so in terms of what was going on in that particular area. So now I'm at the point well, financially and you know, just experience-wise, where well, I can kind of start developing these properties myself. So, our first project that we're working on is a is a mixed-use development right next to my my aunt's. Well, right next to my, my family's hamburger stand and ninety-nine cent store that we have in Watts. It'll be a, a it'll be a nineteen-unit, well, no, excuse me, twenty-six-unit development, and it'll com- it'll be comprised of homeless housing. And market rent housing. And when I say homeless, I don't mean like, you know, the typical person that you may see, you know, unfortunately, that that it doesn't have a, a home to live in, that's living on the mm-hmm. street. These okay. are working, these are working homeless. People who work and who have jobs, you know, women who have kids, but you know, they make enough money, but just not enough to be able to afford a place to live in a nice and decent area. Wow. Well, those people are considered in, in some uh, scenarios homeless. They may live in a shelter or something of the sort. They may be going from shelter to shelter, or they may live in subsidized housing. Unfortunately, for, for those people, if they live in subsidized housing, typically not all the time, because I own Section 8 housing is, uh, uh, units as well. They may not be in the best of areas are in the best condition. So this project will, you know, kind of afford individuals that opportunity to get into something like that. Not only that,
0: it's almost like, transitional. It sounds it, like the that transitional person. It is,
1: it is, it is for that transitional person. So um, that that's kind of like where I'm going at right now in terms of the properties that I own and in, uh, in the wide along with my. Can
0: I just now. say this? I'm just, <laughs> yo, brother, I am praying over you, your <laughs> company, your your whole your whole movement. Yes. See, this is why. See, this is why I'm happy. I have a platform. Someone told me the other day, Lisa, you don't have a show. You have a platform. And now I own it so that I can bring individuals like you because you're tangible. You know, you're doing phenomenal things and you just it's almost like shark in water, you know, and you just kind of <laughs> you stick and move, which is what I think I, what resonates with me about you. Because there are people out here talking about we got to buy back the block. We got to do this and that but everybody's trying to go buy the most expensive piece of real estate on the Monopoly board game, which is boardwalk. And you came in here and bought my favorite piece, which is the light blue piece, which is the first piece from start, which costs a hundred bucks. That's me. I'm at that level. I want to buy that because I can buy that, all that land and then start building faster than anybody else on the board who has to spend more for the land and then start building. When, when oh, yeah. monopoly is done right. And that's exactly what you just taught us right <laughs> now. is like, yo, I went and bought the most inexpensive nine pieces of land and then decided when the time is right, we're going to start making moves and 2018, was it between 2017 and 2018, how much billions of dollars, $60 billion was just approved into the Compton and Watts project?
1: Yeah, we're actually tapping into some of those funds for our project, so kind of worked out for us with that. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that the, the county and the city, that they're taking that step to kind of see that, you know, those areas have been so desolate for so long and left behind that they want, they're willing to kind of put their money where their mouth is in terms of allowing individuals like myself to, you know, to put money on the table and, and us to develop these properties. Um, because the thing is, you know, I'm just being completely honest, you know, I, we, I have a ton of properties, but I don't have all the cash and the capital to really develop them To where
0: Absolutely.
1: I so right. re- utilizing the funds that the, that the county and the city may have is, you know, phenomenal. Um, and it's really going to help me tremendously in terms of Handling that portion of my portfolio, what I do, but then you know, also know I also buy out of state in other areas, and pretty much take the same mentality uh, and the same process in terms of what I do in other states. Like right now, we're in a, we're in Georgia, Texas, Alabama, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, um, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, we're in all those untapped areas where people kind of like. Uh, are not really looking into. Um, and and it, it, it takes a lot of research and a lot of analyzation for us to yes. really figure out these particular areas. It's not like, we're, right. you know, we're just saying, Oh, let's just go here. Right. And, t- and typically my mantra is this when I invest where everybody else, if everybody else is going, right, I go left. <laughs> so I'll give you an yes. example. So this whole uh, thing about, so Inglewood, let's just use Inglewood as an example. Everybody, I would say over the past couple of years, they've been talking about, oh, man, you got to buy an Inglewood, you know. And and my thing is, well, if you're thinking about buying now in Inglewood and you and everybody else are thinking of buying, it's too late. It's too late. I bought an Inglewood in 2003. I'm good. So, I mean, but if you're (laughs) buying now, you're buying on the high end of the market. Right. And you have to assume that. At some point, Inglewood will ele- get to a point where it'll elevate and appreciate to where it's almost like Ladera Heights. I mean, because people are spending five, six, and seven hundred thousand dollars to buy a property in Inglewood, so you you would assume that in order to get your money back, you're gonna have to sell it for you know eight, nine hundred to a million dollars. It'll be like Lower Ladera or, or something of the sort. So, right. We do a lot of analytics in terms of like, uh, and again, I'm not a mathematician. It's just that. I've developed a skill set in terms of really looking at numbers and trends and things like that to figure out where we should go.
0: I see. I feel like I'm winning, EJ, just because (laughs) everything that you said is exactly what I've said. I may not have been very vocal about it, right? Because that's the benefit of people knowing and connecting with with you right the people who do business with you that's the ad the advantage they have because we're doing the analysis we're studying the demographic trends and i said that the same same thing to my investor partners when i was when when it was uh highland park that was blowing up i said come pay attention to inglewood before anyone else was everyone was looking at highland park i said all right if you can't do highland park at the at the 5 6 whatever was happening I said, come on over and bring that money in Inglewood where it makes sense. And then, guess what? Uh, two, three years later, the LA Times did an article saying um, best LA neighborhood was uh, Inglewood. Game over. It right. now, now everyone was paying attention to it. Oh, man. You dropped so many gems <laughs> right now. I just want to shout out to CJ who said, this is right on time. I have been needing this. And yes, he has, because he's been talking about development and his family as well also owns property in Compton. So definitely there may be a collaboration to talk about uh, developing. And I love that you said that you own property. And when you talk, this is why cooperative economics is so important in collaborating, just like you managed to create a deal as being a co-developer on a project I'm sure with creative collaborations, you can create the money to develop those projects. Yeah. so I'm saying that because that's typically for us, one of the only ways that we can maintain control of the land and the vision for the land.
1: Right, so to kind of expound upon what you just said. So the problem in our community as it stands now is that everybody wants to make all the money for themselves. Mm. Everybody wants to make the money, right? No one wants to collaborate and work together and say, well, I got $10,000 and I got $50,000. Let's collaborate and go together and buy this property. Mm-hmm. Well, so They look at it. Well, I only got 10. Well, and he has 50. Well, if I can't buy it, then, you know, ain't nobody getting, well, let's not just do the deal. Right. Whereas I looked at it from the standpoint where, Number one, I typically always collaborate with people that are added value, meaning that yes, they're bringing something to the table that I that I may not know. I've yes. been real estate for fifteen years, but I'm not a know-it-all. I don't know everything.
0: Wonderful. And
1: so what I do is I collaborate with people who have maybe have who have more resources or have more knowledge, and then slowly but surely I started gaining the capital to do the things that I wanted to do and and you know build the properties and develop what I wanted to do.
0: That's exactly why so this goes to show again (laughs) we had that same that same mindset that people are so you know all for me and just me, even with ideas and creation, it's like, oh, I don't want to tell anybody, I don't want to do it because then somebody else is gonna go do it. It's like, well, but if you're the author of that, they can't duplicate authorship.
1: No. And here's the thing, especially in real estate, there's enough money for everybody, right? Yes. I mean, if you look at the people in the real estate space who are extremely wealthy, I mean, from Stephen Wynn to Donahue Peebles to Quentin yes. Primo. Yes. to And I'm, I'm not a, uh, you know, I don't condone anyone, anything that this man does, but I'll just say his name because he's been in real estate. Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Been successful in real estate. If you look mm-hmm. at you know what they've done, they've all have they've all made billions of dollars. It's never been to the point to where, well, I can't make any money because this guy over here is making money. That never made any sense to me. Right. And at the end of the day, <laughs> and at the end of the day, if I can make, if I can turn my ten thousand dollars into fifty thousand dollars, and you turn your fifty into a hundred, eventually I'm gonna turn my fifty, my ten, my. 10, 20, 15 to a hundred. And we just keep, you know, expounding. And we just keep moving forward, but people don't see it like that. They, they look at it as if it, it's a, it's a one end game, either, either I'm going to make the money myself or I'm, I'm just not. And I don't look at it like that because the reality is in order to be successful in anything, you have to partner with people. You have to collaborate. I mean, right. it, I, I don't know of any industry where it's not collaborative or any person who's uber successful who didn't collaborate with people to get to where they are now. You can't do it on your own.
0: I'm just going to have to and I want to bring an example of that just real quick. Um, It's a different kind of real estate. It's still real estate. Um, It's 50 cents is collaboration with stars. It's a $150 million dollar collaboration and it's like that's through partnership to expand more and, and make more money and be a greater reach. Right. And it was interesting that I saw strategically, one of the things that he did, I saw this on his Instagram, um, someone tagged me in it actually, and I ended up reading it. So at, shortly after that collaboration of $150, fifty million deal, he wrote a $3 million check to his nonprofit organization which seeks to empower or uh, give out grants and or um, other nonprofits that do financial literacy work to low income areas. I bring that up because it is the money, it is making money and more money that goes, that the goal is to reinvest it back into the community. Why? Because it is the talents, the untouched talent or what is the undiscovered talent in the community that is going to bring forth the next wave of money, ideas, creations. I could go on and on in that, but I just wanted to (laughs) talk about, as we talk about collaboration is absolutely important and especially in real estate. And I've said this before, that it's not so much the buyers and sellers making the deals. EJ, do you agree? It's the agents making the deals. It's the agents
1: that make the deal. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, like, especially in my residential business, that m- not all, but a- quite a few of my clients s- sought my opinion in terms of whether they should buy a property or not. And, right. you know, w- my opinion mattered. So right. if I would have said, I don't think that's a great property to buy, they wouldn't have bought it. So yeah, agents, we make the deals. So
0: Right. Absolutely. And so uh oh, this is this is so yummy. I gotta be mindful of your time
1: <laughs> Oh, I kind of I, I kind of made enough time, so I'm good.
0: okay, good, good, yay, y'all, we're gonna keep e j on a little about another 15, 15 more minutes. <laughs> so um, what I wanted to also get into, because you oh man, we really covered on everything that I, I think a snippet, not everything, but a snippet of uh, what we talked about offline, which is community, gentrification, development, how can we be more involved? So where do you see in terms of the, the need for more younger professionals to be involved in commercial development? How do we get past, let's say if I was a person who was intimidated about that arena, how do I get past that intimidation And feel confident. And I and that. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about Esteem. I'm not talking about esteem. I'm talking about skill set in order to dive into that arena of doing commercial real estate investing, the multifamily deals and the development projects. What would you Uh, recommend to our our younger professionals who are thinking about it, but saying, I think I want to start off doing residential first because I oftentimes hear that.
1: I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, I, I mean, I look at it as this, remember when you first learned to swim at some point, you know, you're in the water, you're swimming around, you <laughs> learn, they're teaching you how to swim. You got the floaties on, but at some point you got to take the trainers off and just jump in the pool. Jump you got to just do it. Like, like you literally just have to just do it. Um, mm. but when I, when I got into commercial real estate, I didn't know everything. I didn't know all the lingo and all the, you know, and how to operate and things like that. But I learned. Like if, if there was something that I didn't know, I would ask or I would read right. about it. I did I do a lot of reading. So that's that's one thing. And then mm-hmm. number two, I'm not scared. I mean, yes. I don't mind. I don't mind messing up because I right. are, are failing because for me, that is a learning experience. So if you're thinking about getting into commercial real estate or, you know, buying multifamilies or whatever it is that you want to do, that's, you know, the complete antithesis of what you already do in real estate. Just do it. Just, just, just do it. it, and just do it. There, there's really no, no school or, or, or anyone that I, that I could say that I could really help. I mean, if you can find a mentor, that would be great.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. at the end of
1: the day, you, you literally just have to just do it.
0: All right, duly noted, Lisa. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just do so it. I
1: know you can do it, Lisa. You just got to just jump out there and do it.
0: I just got to jump out there and do it because this is. This is, and that. this is, I think when I talk with you and I shared with people that I was going to do this commercial series, it is for my, it is, do you want part due to my own personal selfish reasons? Right. <laughs> because I'm like, what better way to get information from those who are starting, our veterans in the industry, and then uncovering, do i want to do development because you talked about multi families doing off versus office space retail, and that's a whole nother game which which is what I like because it it is very target driven you if you yeah. do multifamily you do you do multifamily no right. multifamily right
1: yeah um it is very specific so a a commercial agent a good commercial agent will spend will. Spend Will specialize in one particular aspect of commercial real estate. Mm. Either they will do multifamilies, or office, industrial. um Now you have you know you know cannabis uh, a particular type property. Right. Cannabis. I mean, mm-hmm. There's a myriad of of the types of specialties that you can go into in commercial real estate. I chose multifamily for one because number one, it's kind of like where I started managing. Some of my dad's multifamily properties, and for mm-hmm. me, it was the quickest and easiest way to get to my goal my mm. our, our company's goal is so I wanted to build a billion dollar real estate portfolio, right? So most people, when they get into real estate, you know they say, "I want to be a millionaire and I want to do this." So I thought, well, why can't I be a billionaire? Why not? right? I love so, it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I looked at it from, okay, what's the quickest way for me to get to that point? and to build this billion-dollar portfolio. So I studied several individuals who are billionaires and have billionaire uh, portfolios, and they all started in multifamily. Um, Mm. It's the easiest form of real estate to get into. And if you're a residential agent, it's the easiest aspect to actually learn and really comprehend, whereas opposed to office, industrial, and all the other aspects of it you know, you probably need someone to really teach you or, or mentor you on that aspect. Um so for me, that you know, I started with multifamily. Others may start in somewhere else.
0: I love that. That was a oh, that was a great tip, you guys. That was a we, we call those real estate gems. Whenever there's a real estate gem dropped, that was a real estate gem. And <laughs> uh personally and professionally, I think that's why my transition into Developments of multi single family and multi family has been very comfortable. A comfortable transition is because I feel like I'm a strong residential agent, and so now moving into that arena, I'm like, All right, the goal for me is two commercial deals a year, 10 five to 10 units.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I set a goal, uh, and as I started chipping away at that goal, then I just threw something out there and I'll just outlandish and i was like i'm gonna buy 100 units by the end of this year right yeah i didn't know how i was gonna do it but i set the goal out there and at the end of it literally um in the beginning of december i i put in escrow a deal that would be my 100th unit for the year to add to the portfolio that i that i already have so i did it but you just gotta you know you gotta sometimes you just gotta throw something out there and make it happen.
0: Right, I love it. I love it because uh, if anybody knows about throwing stuff out there is this lady, right? (laughs) Like I said, I I took a call this morning and they were, you know, this woman, she was a past guest of my show and she was asking me all these uh, very um, detailed questions about how did I learn broadcasting and I must've went to, you know, she thought I went to a tech conference and I was like, no, I stumbled. I jumped in and I figured the rest out. I'm a one take Jane. I download this and repurpose it on multiple platforms. Done in eight minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, I not, mean,
0: it's not. that I'm not doing. I'm not doing all that mental work. No, man,
1: let me tell you, I'm not that smart. I'm not. I may seem. I may come off at, as smart, but I'm not that smart. Of course, you are. People, you're right. You're wise. Like, like, there like,
0: is a difference.
1: Hey, I'm from Watt, but look. The, well, I will say this. By growing up in the area in the community that I grew up in, it made me very resourceful and mm. it, it, it allowed me to think outside the box. So that's right. where I kind of my advantage is I may not be able to out you know scheme you in terms of X's and O's and be the best at you know adding values and math and math and stuff like that. But when it comes to thinking outside the box and doing something that's non-traditional, That's where I I typically outwork people at.
0: That's where you thrive. And and I've shared this before, which is why this goes back to reinvesting into underserved communities. Because imagine an organization like ours that is doing real estate focus for ages 11 to 17. And we came into your community and you were like, hmm, (laughs) you know, as a youth, someone started talking about this whole real estate game very early on your level of performance would probably supersede most during your academic, your early academic track record. You again are just confirming my wild idea and just throwing it out there and seeing what happens because that's what I'm saying. And I've said this before, one of the best performers in this real estate game are truly the hustlers. <laughs> Right. And, and and it really is because it is outside of box thinking. We have to be creative and quick on our feet with negotiation. Like I said, I grew up on the east side. I'm, I not I wasn't as far as Watts, but I was off of Avalon and San Pedro. <laughs> Those people who know I was that close enough. That wasn't too far. Yeah. So I came from that that walk of life and that path. And it was being able to uh, not just survive, but thrive. In my environment,
1: yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think uh, my upbringing and growing up in Watts made me who I am today. And it's funny because growing up, I used to be embarrassed about mm. it. So when people would ask me, you know, when because I, I went to, I always went to school outside of the area. I went to school in like Carson and Torrance and stuff like that. So I would always when people would ask me where I lived at or where I was from, I would just say, you know, L.A. or Los Angeles. I never said Watts, right? Right.
0: Because it always
1: had a, 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 such a negative connotation to it. Right. But as I got older and I started, you know, really, you know, taking pride in my community, albeit yeah. you know, it's not the greatest looking community, I'll tell everybody where I'm from, wherever I go, You like, I'm from Watts. Like, you know, it, right. it made me who I am.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. and that's the I'm and I'm happy that you shared that because there are going to be some people who are listening our younger audience who are probably feeling that negative stigma about growing up it's so funny like um what's happening with uh, New York right Brooklyn and the Bronx and the the five boroughs now everybody's very proud to say that's where they're from because they're going through a massive redevelopment yeah. and change and so again this speaks to the difference of Neighborhood where people saying oh, um, referring it to the hood or making it seem like it's a negative space or a place. We've seen these in the in the past movies that we're still talking about real estate. Right, I, I your mean, hood is somebody else's gold mine. It might why not? It me. why not be your own gold mine?
1: Right, so my grandfather, he moved to, he he came to Los Angeles on a mule from Arkansas and I believe like 1932 Mm. or something like that, right? Long Mm -hmm. time ago, right? And he taught my, you know, my aunts and uncles that the area in Watts that we grew up in, that he was like, it's a gold mine. He said, whatever you do, reinvest in your community and it will pay you back tenfold. Mm. So if you look at it, In minority communities, we're the largest consumers out of anybody. Number one, because we have more, I wouldn't necessarily say we have more disposable income. Mm
0: -hmm. It's the way
1: we utilize our income. So for instance, recessions and and things like that that happen, they typically affect higher income individuals. They're the ones who typically have the largest drop in income. Whereas in our communities, man, we can have $5 in our pocket. We are gonna spend our five dollars by the end of the day, whereas in other communities they'll say, "Dang, I got five dollars. I'm only gonna spend two dollars today, and I'll save the rest for tomorrow." We spend the five, and we worry about tomorrow tomorrow. So unfortunately, (laughs) right? Unfortunately, we become the largest consumers in Inglewood uh, when they when they finish the Target, um, Home Depot, uh, what is it? The Red Lobster and in and out mm-hmm. within the first five years of, of those properties being finished and them operating, they were the number one stores in those chains. The number one in and out in the United States resided in Inglewood. The number one wow. Target in the United States at one point resided in Inglewood. The number one, I mean, and so on and so on. So it just goes to show you what kind of capital that we have. If you look over in Compton now, now they have that new development they have over there with Target and stuff like that over near the over off the uh, 91 freeway. So it shows you like we we spend money, right? Right. So from that standpoint, if you, if you if you kind of take a step back and you look at the dynamics and the demographics of our areas and you look at it that way, you will see that if you build a great business or you are offering something to these communities that is needed, they will buy it. They will support right. you. But you just can't open any old shop and expect people to support you just because you know you want to say oh you know you know support support you know black people black business i'm black owned and you know minority you know, nobody cares about that people want to support businesses that that offer them value that are providing service that they don't get i'll give you an example like my family we own a hamburger stand in watts has been there over 50 years now it may not be the greatest looking area our, our nicest location but we serve great food right mm. we serve better food than some of the other places around there in in the whole area so therefore right. people patronize our restaurant so you know there there you have it
0: i i love that you touched on yes i'm in agreement and what <laughs> what, what came to mind <laughs> what came to mind was the ralphs Off of so I'm in my brokerage is in Inglewood, and uh, we have a Ralph's located off of Western. And so Ralph's, of course, because we are near and close enough to uh, the Forum, that Ralph's went through a facelift. I know, yeah. And they put a Starbucks in there. The store manager shared with me that that Starbucks is the highest grossing sales in the Starbucks in, in within the uh, region in there. They put the Starbucks in that route, and they're saying that it is outperforming all the other Starbucks in our region. Now, as you talk about demographics of who the people are and what they're spending on, and it's not like when you look at this area, it's not like, there's lots of disposable income, as you talked about, right? Isn't, right. But they, they will stop and be like, oh, there's a Starbucks right here. Instead of making my own coffee, I'm going to go spend seven, eight bucks. I don't know what it costs. <laughs> right. But um, the logic is, as you talk about value and brand, they're deciding to go ahead and spend their money there. And we don't. When you think about it, there isn't a Starbucks in this pocket over here. No,
1: no. <laughs> I mean, once, once you get to that route, where is the next Starbucks when you start going more south and more east in Los Angeles? There isn't one, right?
0: There isn't one.
1: However, I can tell you this, that these companies are doing the research and looking at the statistics. And at some point, you will see a Starbucks on the east side of L.A. somewhere or in an underserved uh, minority community because right. they're starting to realize these people spend money. The problem is, is that yes. we spend money on stuff that don't really do nothing. Like you said, you know, you can make your own coffee at home, right? <laughs> you can save that seven dollars that you're spending a day or whatever. You probably spend a, a couple thousand dollars a year at the end of the year on coffee. Well, I don't have any like vices. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink. I don't smoke. So all my all my discretionary income or disposable income, I put it in the real estate. Mm. So it goes into my business. It goes into my real estate. And then at some point when I'm retired, whenever that will be, then I can go to Starbucks every day. Or if I wanted to, I, I probably could go to Starbucks every day now and not bother me. But at the end of the day, my priorities were, let me put my money towards building my future in terms of and in, in establishing myself, as opposed to just feeling good for this one day because I got this coffee or this drink or what have you that I'm that I'm dealing with. So, yeah.
0: Can someone hashtag Real Estate gem again? <laughs> EJ just dropped, dropped a major real estate gem because it is so congruent with my shows that I say real estate is a mindset. You just talked about a mindset right. when you said, yes, I could do that, but I'm using my discretionary disposable income and reinvesting it in myself. Oh, in yeah. other words, you are paying yourself first before you pay someone else. Right, I'll
1: give you you a funny- EJ,
0: you're you're so amazing. (laughs) I just really, like I said, I genuinely look forward to building with you so much more. Um, EJ and I are also um, collaborating a committee for young professionals that we want you to be a part of. If you are um, an affiliate of the real estate industry, Definitely stay in touch with us because we're about to just, yeah, 2019 and beyond is just going to be so amazing. And I do want to plug him in here. So how do people get connected with you? Oh, I think I wanted to ask you, um, are you growing your team? You mentioned mentorship. Is that something I I don't know where you'd find time, but I can't speak for you. (laughs) Is that something you're open to? Are you hiring? Um, Tell us a little bit about the Orion Group.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, like you mentioned in the beginning, we're a boutique real estate firm. Um, we are hiring. Um, however, Perfect. I don't go out and and, and recruit. Right. Um, I work with people that I think are would be good candidates or have the talent that I believe that can be successful in real estate.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I do
1: work, mentor people, only those who have the tenacity to tenacity. want to be mentored.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't want
1: somebody just coming to me, trying to work with me and you know, we talk one or two times, which is fine. You know, if you just wanna call me, have a conversation with me and, and ask me some questions, I'm all for it. But in terms of like mentorship, so I do mentor two people, um at, you know, as it stands now. But I'm I'm all open to it. But you can catch us at www.oriongroupre.com. I'm not too I'm not I'm not really on social media, but this year I'll I'll kind of be
0: you I'll, are I'll be, today. Yeah, I'm checking
1: <laughs> my game up this year on social media. I, I kind of operate like under the radar.
0: Yeah, you and, do. You
1: know, you can catch me at uh, I'm on Instagram at the uh, Real Estate Mogul. Um, catch me on Facebook, EJ Hawkins. So, yeah,
0: awesome. You you heard it, y'all. So Orion Group R E dot com to learn yeah. more. And he is on social media now this this year, and especially now. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm just going to have this all over social media in the next 15 minutes when we wrap this up. (laughs) So, great. Um, As we wrap this up, and again, thank you so much for time blocking uh, uh, to come on and really just be a uh, contributing added value voice to our show, our platform and what we're doing through our work. Again, for those of you who are new to me, this show does support Real Estate 100 Youth Foundation. We are our nation's first country that is real estate focused for the youth and young adults. We teach real estate literacy as an alternate means to success. Ages 11 to 17 specifically is our target. You can learn more at RealEstate100Youth.org. All right, EJ, I just I, I we had so much gems today, real estate gems. Um, Would you please leave our audience and our listening and viewing audience with any last kind of parting words, especially since people are talking about change and New Year's resolution for 2019? What would you leave? What would you suggest in terms of, um, you know, any last parting words? Real
1: simple. Be bold and be brave. Don't talk about it. I mean, yeah, just be bold, be brave. Don't talk about it. Just do it. that's really all I, I could really impart. If you if you really focus on that and you take heed to that, you can accomplish anything you want to in life.
0: I like it. I love it, especially because I just did a post about being bold. <laughs> One of my bold moves was I cut my hair and it's officially 12 months that I since I did that I' would never done that. And that has been me stepping more into um, being bold and courageous and out my comfort zone, which is, like I said, Uh, This is why I'm doing a commercial series. For those who have been thinking about it, who've been saying, I want to learn more. I just don't know where to start. And I just loved every moment of this show, EJ. You are awesome. Thank Thank you, you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys, that's it. We're, We're getting to wrap this up. This was beyond powerful. Again, if you just tuned in, you're late. Listen to the replay (laughs) (laughs) and tune into our radio podcast everywhere on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, Breaker, we're everywhere. Just type in Ready, Set, Real Estate, and it'll come right up on your phone and uh, your car car dashboard. uh, We're available everywhere. All right. So we are out, you guys. EJ, I will see you soon.
1: (laughs) You will. All right. Thank
0: you. All right, guys. We're signing off.